Hey everyone, as the title suggests, these stories are very dark and disturbing. The first story mentions some form of abuse, and the last two mention murder. You've been warned. If you have a story like this or any story that you would like to submit, you can submit your own at southerncannibal.com. Without any further interruptions, let's get into these dark stories. And remember, to always... Stay hungry. At the time of the story, I had just turned 21. I'm a female, and I was raised by a very conservative Christian family in the Bible Belt. As such, I was incredibly naive, and I seemed younger than my age. I also had been abused at 14, and I've heard some mental health experts say that in some capacities, you stop developing after a trauma and you can get stuck mentally or emotionally at that same age for a period of time. Let me backtrack though. When I say I was sheltered, I mean that I was homeschooled my entire life. I only had two friends ever come to my house growing up, and each one only came to visit the one time. I became so introverted and timid that I couldn't get a job for almost two years after high school because of the level of anxiety I felt from filling out applications was ridiculous and interviews. I couldn't even make myself do them. Eventually, I got my first job at a daycare. I'm the oldest in my family, so caring for kids was a natural thing for me. I really loved it, but I made a lot of first-time job mistakes where coworkers were concerned. I was there for around two years part-time before I realized if I didn't quit, the other ladies would continue trying to get me fired so I started looking for the next thing. Through some of my mom's homeschooling friends, we had met a lady from the States. Her name was Miss V, and she was living in Germany with her three kids. An 11-year-old who'll go by M, 9-year-old by N, and 8-year-old K. We had did a few Skype interviews, and she told me she was looking for an au pair, so that she could transition from a stay-at-home mom to pursuing her career which was a big part of them moving from the States. Mr. V had a job that would keep him away for months at a time, so in essence, she was a single mom. Looking back now and now having been a single mom of two myself, I can say that I have a little more compassion and understanding for her, but at the same time, I was young, and all of my experience was either with my siblings who were very well behaved and quiet children just like myself, or with kids considerably younger. But when she offered me the position, I accepted it. Mainly just because my parents wanted me to so badly, and I could tell that they wanted me out of the house and learn to be more independent, and they didn't know how to help me anymore. I'm very much a people pleaser and an empath, so when I could see how badly they wanted this, I ignored the bad feeling I had on it, and I took the position despite the fact that they were only willing to pay me $200 a month for around-the-clock babysitting for their kids. It was supposed to only be a six-month contract, pending a visa extension once I got there. Considering I went from not being able to drive myself to an interview because my nerves were so bad, to then flying for over 12 hours away in a matter of months, to say this was a huge step for me was an understatement. When I got there, everything seemed okay at first, I met the kids and they seemed really excited to have a new nanny. 
the mom I found incredibly hard to read. And honestly, at that point, we didn't really have much common ground, so exchanges with her were a bit awkward. I assumed there would be a little period of time where I would get to know her a little better and soon be able to make decisions the same way she would. If she was home with the kids, I couldn't have been more wrong. I noticed early on that she was telling me all the time, you can't believe a word they say. The kids lie. But when I would tell her something they did when I walked them to her from school or an after-school class, she would believe the children over me. Growing up in a conservative household, I never had alcohol before, and the kids and her thought that it was funny and proceeded to drink wine in front of me. They did this regularly, even the eight-year-old kid. Not like a full glass or anything, but she would steal her mom's wine glass and cup as much down as she could before her mom would then chase her away. One time when her mom had gone out of town for a job for about a week, I went to meet the kids at the bus stop closest to the train station so that we could ride the train into the neighboring town for the kids' ballet lessons. When the bus stopped, Kay got off, and the bus doors closed and then pulled away. I immediately asked where N and M were. She told me that they had left a second-story window open and that they had planned to hop the six-foot wooden fence, climb outside of the house and onto the second-story balcony, then climb onto the window and watch TV all day long instead of going to their ballet class, since they knew I couldn't leave the eight-year-old by herself in another town to go pick them up. This was the kind of thing I dealt with on the daily. These kids were wild, and they were pushing every button they could, as well as testing all of my limits, and when I would try to be firm with them, and send them punishments. Their mom would come along and then believe the child over me and take back the punishments. I ended up being the bad guy who everything got blamed on in the household. By my second month there, I was silently crying every time I took a shower as hard as I've ever cried in my life. Because they were only paying me around $200 a month and the exchange rate was bad, in addition to everything being more expensive in Germany, I was burning through my savings very fast. Granted, I was doing some souvenir shopping on the two days I had off that I was allowed in the three months I was there. I remember being so stressed and not knowing how to fix the dynamics that had developed, and whenever I would call home, my family couldn't understand why I was so stressed and unhappy. Eventually, I got the courage to tell Miss Fee that I wanted to leave and that the kids hated me. She yelled at me regularly because somehow every time they misbehaved, it was my fault for not managing them better. Of course, how are you supposed to manage kids when you're not allowed to punish in any way, or when you try to force the punishment, the mom takes it away? When I told her this just wasn't working, and that I wasn't a good fit for their family or lifestyle, she said something along the lines of, We had a verbal contract that you'd be here for six months. You're not leaving earlier than that. Since my parents didn't understand the level of stress I was under, and how bad things have gone, bad enough that I had to stop eating three meals a day, and that I was only eating one meal because I was afraid of not having enough money to get transportation out of there if it came to that, I just knew I couldn't ask them for help. I wanted to run away and get a ticket back to the States, but I didn't speak any German, and I was unaware that you could translate web pages into other languages. So, I thought I couldn't even do it online without being able to read German. Miraculously, 
My visa never came through to stay in the country as a tourist, since they had told me to get a tourist visa, and not an au pair visa, because our agreement didn't constitute what was legally permitted in Germany for an au pair because of how little they paid me. Red flag number one that I majorly missed. So it's now the three month mark. Mr. V was able to come home for the first time, and he tried his hardest to get buddy-buddy with me. He tried to convince me to stay in the week he was there, and I'm scared to say that it almost worked. Because of my abuse at 14 years old, I'm fairly easily swayed by older men's opinions and approval. He tried to act like a father figure to me, and when that didn't work, I couldn't put my finger on exactly what he was trying, but something about it felt very unnatural and that scared me just enough to swear for the first time in my life. I then stood up for myself, and I told them I was going to leave without their help, at which point he then said, Since you broke our contract, you have to pay us back the $1,000 plus for the tickets I got you, or I won't help you book a ticket back. And the last-ditch effort to change my mind, Miss V then said, Are you sure your parents will even let you come back? That's a lot of money to spend without asking them. To which I responded, It's my own money that I earned from my part-time job before this. I guess the takeaway from this is that not all scary stories involve kidnappings and murders. You can also be traumatized by trusting the wrong people, by taking a job and leaving the country. I walked away from this experience, but that doesn't mean that I don't have scars. I developed an unhealthy relationship with food because of starving myself so that I'd have enough money to leave the country. I couldn't work with kids for a while, which was my passion. I didn't trust women because of the physiological abuse from yelling and mind games that that mom inflicted on me, and I had dealt with a lot of anxiety and depression in the past, but I developed suicidal tendencies that have plagued my life ever since. It's been nine years and I'm still working through all the trauma with a therapist. Be careful out there. Warning. The story mentions attempted murder. This call wasn't mine, but a former co-worker's that I will never forget. I was a 911 dispatcher for a short period of time, and I've heard a lot of terrible calls. But this one particular call made me leave the industry. I worked in a smallish but most would call extremely safe town where a crime rate happened but people would still feel safe sleeping with their doors unlocked. It's grown over the last few years, which unfortunately so is the crime rate, but I would still consider it one of the safest places to live in my state. I remember I was on the day crew that month and throughout the whole day we were getting pretty rough calls. From break-ins to carjackings to several car accidents. It was just an all-around rough day for all of us. My shift was from 3am to 3pm half the week, and the night shift was from 3pm to 3am. I left my work shift with my final call of a car accident with multiple severe injuries. I was so glad to go home and take a hot bath to unwind. I went to bed around 5pm to get up for my 3am shift the following morning. I remember walking into work with a feeling of tension to the roof. I automatically knew something was wrong. As soon as I sat down to get all my stuff set up for the day, my coworker who I was relieving was just silent staring into space. 
That's when I knew she was the one who took the call. It was around 2 in the morning when a 911 call dropped into her ear. Screams flooded the line and what sounded like a domestic dispute happening. She quickly got the location pinged and then sent officers out. The line disconnects. As she frantically calls the line back, she gets a woman on the other line crying hysterically. He killed my babies! He killed my babies! And I'm next! Throughout the screams and sobs, gunshots were heard, and the line goes silent. Officers rushed to the scene, where they found two children both with severe gunshot wounds, and a woman barely hanging on to life, as well as a deceased man. EMTs and officers rushed the woman and the children to the hospital, where they then realized just how bad the gunshot wounds truly were. One child was shot in the face, and the other child was shot in the chest two times, both clinging on to life. The woman was shot in the chest, back, and leg, and was put on life support. The father was the culprit, who ultimately committed suicide. My co-worker leaving with tears in her eyes, not knowing if she had heard the family's last words, is what still haunts me to this day. Several days later, my supervisor got a call from one of the officers, who said both children and mother were 90% going to make it, but with life-altering injuries. I remember crying at my desk hearing that news, but I knew that day was going to change my life forever. I quit two weeks later. To all of the dispatchers, police officers, EMTs, nurses, doctors, and every other first responder, thank you for your hard work and dedication to your jobs. People really don't give you enough credit. And to that father who attempted to kill his whole family for unknown reasons, I really hope you're enjoying your nightmare. One night, my friends wanted to get together to hang out and play games. My best friend Alexis was dating someone I knew from high school, and his name was Jason. He invited his best friend Carter over, and Alexis and I invited our close friend Cameron too. Cameron invited his sister-in-law Brittany over. They arrived together excited to play Super Nintendo and Nintendo 64 with us. While everyone was getting settled in, Jason was prepping snacks and drinks for us. He realized that we needed a few things from the store, so we decided to take an adventure out to the gas station that was a couple of blocks away. While we were there, Cameron bought a few drinks and Jason bought a lighter. As soon as we settled into Jason's house, he was telling us that his roommate had gotten him into trouble. Jason had a cat, which he had left with his mom while he was figuring things out with his roommate. His roommate's cat and his cat weren't getting along, causing a dispute between them. He shared that his roommate Jennifer walked into his room one day to complain about the cats. He waved her off, and then she started hitting him on the back. Out of reaction, he then confessed he hit her back. He didn't go into more detail. Admittedly, I wasn't okay with his actions, and I sat in silence wondering how I should feel about that, especially because he was dating Alexis. Emily! Alexis called out. Um, yeah? I asked, breaking out from my thought. What do you want to drink? Alexis asked. Um, I'll have a Coke. I responded. Everyone sat in the living room just chatting, 
We were all sitting together in a full circle. Then there was a ring. Someone had rang the doorbell. A strange guy walks in. He says hi, walks into the kitchen, and he had mentioned something to Jason. Jason thanked him, and then the guy leaves. As Jason shuts the door, he then looks at us, letting us know that we can get anything we want from the kitchen. He sits and takes a sip of his drink. Right at this moment, I just knew something was going on. My house is broken glass outside. I'm not sure if you guys saw that when you walked to the gas station, Jason said. Yeah, I was about to ask about that, Brittany said. Well guys, there's more to the story than I shared about Jennifer, Jason said. You see, she had lined up Hall, telling him that I beat her. And yeah, I mean, I did hit her back, but come on, I didn't beat her. Today when I came back and I found glass around my house, I discovered that Paul broke the glass. He's under the impression that I threw stones and rocks at his house and stole his belongings. You see, that's impossible. As you all know, I was with my mom up north. It's a five-hour drive. I don't know why this guy thinks that I broke into his house. And that's the other reason why I left my cat with my mom. We all looked at him with worry, especially Alexis. Do you think he'll come back? Alexis asked. I don't know. I'm glad you're all here, though, Jason said. Don't worry, bro. We got you, Cameron said. There were multiple loud bangs at the door. I wonder who that is, Jason asked, followed by three more loud bangs. Jason opened the door, and it was Paul just standing there, looking deranged. Uh, what do you want, Paul? Let me in, Paul exclaimed. No, dude, you should go home, Jason said. I know you broke into my house today, Paul said. As this was happening, Cameron and Carter got up to stand next to Jason, ultimately scaring Paul away. Who the hell exactly is this Paul guy? Cameron asked. Jason explained that Paul is Jennifer's friend, that he was in love with her but that she didn't reciprocate the feelings. Yeah, so Paul went to high school with Jason and I, I said. Well, that guy's crazy. There's something wrong with him, Carter said. I think we should call the cops, I said. Brittany nodded yes, and I looked at Alexis, and she nodded too. I grabbed my phone, and I was just about to dial 911, when suddenly... We then heard louder knocks at the door. This time Carter answered the door, and a strange man kicked in the door, startling Carter to strike him on the head. The girls quickly rush to the corner of the living room holding each other, and Cameron gets up, clenching his fists ready to swing at the third intruder. The third guy walks in, and he hits Cameron on the side with a bat, causing him to fall in pain on the couch. All of this was happening so fast then I ran into the kitchen, looking for mail to get the address of the house, as my phone was already ringing for 911. 911, what's your emergency? The operator asks. Please help us. Three strange men just kicked their way through my friend's house near Cutler Coy. Please send someone here soon. They have axes and bats. Please hurry. I tell the operator.
this. I need you to calm down. What's the address? The operator asks. I'll let you know soon. I'm having a hard time finding the address. But I can tell you that we're near Health South. Two houses down that exact road. Please hurry. That's when I then saw Jason on the floor with his arms laid on the ground. And Paul was over him striking him on the head with an axe or some kind of machete. Then he was saying to him, Yeah, that's what you get for beating on women. And he was saying it repeatedly, but in Spanish. Oh shit, she's on the phone with the cops. Run, get the hell out of here. Paul yells. As they run, I see a white sedan-like car, possibly a Buick. And I tell the operator that they're driving away and that they're in a white car that resembles a Buick, similar to an officer's car. I quickly run to the door, locking it, then run to Jason. My heart then drops seeing Alexis crying. I rush to the closet, and I get towels, then handing them to her to see if she can wrap the wounds. Jason was all bloodied, his face covered with his own. Brittany, the bright girl that she is, also had an operator on the phone, and she was giving them the exact address. She braved it well. She then ran outside, got a piece of the mail, and gave the address to the dispatch. We locked the door again. Not too long after, there were three loud bangs, and this time it was the police. Police, open up! We're here. An ambulance is on its way. Please open the door. An officer said, I had checked the window to verify that it is indeed an officer. Then I look at Brittany, and I then wait for her to open the door. An officer walked in and asked us to step outside. I took a look to my right, and I saw Cameron on the couch groaning in pain. I also see Carter with his hand above his head, covering his head where the axe had hit him. Guys, I think I'm going to die here, Carter says. An officer walks over to me and leads me out of the house. I see paramedics and EMTs rushing to Carter, Cameron, and Jason. Alexis is still by Jason's side while crying. The officer asks for my phone and separates me from my friends. I see the other officers take away Brittany's phone too. I ask them to allow Alexis to go with Jason, and the officer looks at me concerned. He asks me to follow him and he sits me in a squad car. As I sit down, I start yelling in fear, anxiety, anger, and concern, and so many things all at once. I see the EMTs and paramedics taking Carter and Cameron in an ambulance. Then the officer sits in the squad car, and he says he needs to take me to the station for my statement. My mind was going a million miles a second while I was on the way to the police headquarters. I was wondering where Jason, Alexis, Brittany, Cameron, and Carter were at. I couldn't stop blaming myself for not calling faster and for not asking what Jason's address was before Paul ran through the door with the other two men. We arrived at the police headquarters, where the officer led me to an interview room. He walked in, with another officer asking me questions. They asked me what I saw, and if I could explain in detail what I remember. They asked me how I remember particular things. They asked how I knew the time of everything. I told them I had someone texting me multiple times throughout the night, and that's why I noticed the time. Then I also noticed the time when Jason had a strange man visit him, and that I had my phone ready to call 911 
when Paul and the two other men he was with slammed through the door. So yeah, I was looking at my phone quite often throughout the night. The officers walked away for a while. Then they came back. They told me that Alexis, Brittany, Carter, and Cameron all said the same thing, and that all of our stories matched. That's when I asked, Officer, what about Jason? The officer's face went from focus to worry. Emily, you don't know? He asked. I know that when I saw Jason, he was bloodied on the floor, and that Alexis was trying to help him, and he was groaning. What happened, officer? Please tell me. I asked. Emily, we're so sorry to tell you this, but Jason died on the scene. Our paramedics and EMTs really tried to keep him alive, but he just couldn't hang on. Would you like to step outside for a moment? We didn't know that you didn't know. I could feel my face go from worry to pain. I walked in the women's restroom, washed my face, and then screamed. I couldn't stop wishing that I had called faster or asked for his address even earlier. I walked back to the interview room. The officers gave me back my phone and then asked if I needed a ride back to Jason's house. I agreed, and then I had an officer take me home. When I got there, Carter was there, Cameron and Brittany, and even Alexis were already there. I walked over to Alexis, and I couldn't let her go. I then hugged Carter, hugged Brittany, and then Cameron. Cameron had a huge bandage on his head. He said he was cleared after three hours. Guys, I said. They all looked at Jason's house, and that's when we saw all of the glass on the ground. We all just looked at each other in shock at just how much glass was surrounding the front. Then Carter offered everyone a ride home. We all got in his car, and then we agreed to stay in touch and talk to one another if we ever feel like we need support. Carter, on the other hand, said he needed time to himself, and I was the second to last to be dropped off. I hugged Alexis, then I asked Carter to check in. He didn't say anything. As I made my way to the door, my mom opened the door and asked where I had been. I told her everything. She immediately started crying. My brother walked out asking me if I was okay, and he also asked me what happened. I told both of them everything. At that moment, something eerie happened. My brother said that he and his friends wanted to go to CVS or Walgreens to get some drinks and snacks. So they walked and skateboarded over there around the same time Jason's house was invaded. While they made their way to a convenience store, a flock of blind cats surrounded them, getting closer and closer. My brother found it eerie. Suddenly the cats walked away, just as easily as they had appeared. When my brother told me this, I could feel a rush going through me. Today, Alexis is married to someone who was close friends with us. Brittany's living her life doing her own thing. Cameron has two kids and talks a lot about sports. As for Carter, I was told once that he changed and he isn't the same person anymore, but I'm not really sure in what way. When I met him, he was a very serious yet witty person. He's been really hard to reach since this all happened. We found out that the guy who visited Jason that day was one of his friends that he smoked with and that he had nothing to do with anything that happened. He was there by coincidence. This story has been altered a little 
and names have been changed. There's an article out there with a short description, but out of respect for my friends and their privacy, I'm not going to include it. Lastly, Paul was sentenced to death, his stepfather was sentenced to 14 years in jail, and his cousin was sentenced to a few years in jail. A case was built for Paul's cousin, and I went to court to testify against him. The jury decided to keep the sentence they had initially given him, though. They've all appealed to get a lesser sentence, but I'm not really sure of the status, but I haven't been subpoenaed since. This all happened back in 2012. It's been 11 years since then. I really only have a few words to say now. Rest in peace, Jason. Jason.